Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. Uh, this week we are here to preview the Miami Grand Prix, the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. Um, yeah, we're heading stateside a lot earlier this year. Uh, I'm your host this week, Tom, back from Holly Bobs, and I'm joined by Chris, who is not I, on uh, Holly Bobs. No, not this time. <laughs> and, and we are missing Stu, who is on Holly Bobs. <laughs> so yeah, more more holiday interruptions to the podcast schedule, but we're here. Um, people who normally listen live are probably sad because we're recording much earlier in the day because it's a bank holiday here in the UK. We're taking advantage of that. Sorry. <laughs> I'll somehow find a way to get you the MP3 earlier than usual. <laughs> I'm sat here drinking coffee for a podcast recording, which I don't think has ever happened before. Yeah, actually, ditto on that. I also have coffee in this mug. So <laughs> that is a very unusual thing for us. It's normally beers, wine, or something similar. So it might be a different so, energy this time. <laughs> yeah, slightly different energy. Um, there is some news to cover. I mean, not a huge amount of his F1 related, in all honesty, but we've got some bits and pieces. So I'll let you go through those and steer us through that, Chris, and then uh, we'll we'll head from there. Yes, there's one sort of bit of F1 news that's kind of come out of the blue in the last day or two. Um, well, we found out last week that after the last F1 commission meeting that the F1 commission and teams had agreed on um, six sprint races for next. In fact, we didn't get your thoughts on this, Tom. Next season. Go. So it, it's still pending FIA approval, but next season, six sprint races using exactly the same format that they're currently using. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see them maybe do it, but move it around circuits or something like that, so we get slightly different circuits to what we've had. Uh, I mean, we've kind of got that this year, haven't we? Um, are any are any of the sprint races in the same uh, Brazil place? Is. Brazil, oh yeah, Brazil, so yeah. Brazil's continued. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice if it was like uh, something that kind of moved, so there were like five, six per season, and they moved around. Um, I mean. I don't generally know the consensus from last week, but you know, I kind kind of enjoyed the the weekend on the whole. Um, yeah, that was we did enjoy the last one. Um, me and Stu's general thoughts on it was that yeah, it just feels like they've come up with one format and they're just like that'll do. We'll have six more of them. Yeah, I I get that, and I possibly like them to maybe keep tweaking with the format a little bit like i think they're almost there and there's one or two things that you maybe want to try um i mean i've seen some ideas thrown around that the um the sprint race is actually done before qualifying for the race weekend like on the friday um, or on the Saturday, then followed by qualifying later on and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's there's some sort of reversed... I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but like reverse championship order to some degree. And I, I do like the idea of sort of testing the water with those kind of things and potentially doing it the same way that they have with what they've got so far, where they it's, it's minimal points initially whilst they're experimenting. And then as they get more and more settled with something that the thing is working, like making it more rewarding for the teams. Yeah, that's um, fair. But yeah, I'd, I mean, I, I enjoyed both races last weekend. Um, well, weekend before now. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I mean, one of them, I was literally sat in an airport 
departures <laughs> lobby just watching it on my phone <laughs> although i i am very proud of my own um race tv direction because i was watching it with emily on my phone through f1 tv and um during the time that george russell was chasing down kevin magnuson i went on board for russell and then literally as he started like outbreaking him into the chicane i immediately i had k-mag's thing ready and i swapped straight <laughs> nice. to k-mag and then got the k-mag on board of it i was like yes i should work in f1 direction because that <laughs> is what people want to see on tv that's real so, good <laughs> yeah that was the highlight of my weekend because <laughs> the rest of it was spent in an airport or on a flight so uh Right, a risk of doing last week's podcast again. I'll move us yeah. along. Um, <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, so also at the F1 Commission, we've now had details of a trial they want to do at two races next season with revised tyre and qualifying rules. So the kind of core thing this comes from is the idea of reducing the number of tyre sets per car per weekend. <clears throat> so they want to reduce it from 13 sets to 11. Uh, they currently have eight sets of softs each and they're proposing reducing that for these two trial weekends, reducing the soft sets from eight to four and then having one extra set each of mediums and hards. So that'd be four and three sets respectively. Qualifying would be exactly the same format, Q1, Q2, Q3, same time, sale eliminations, all of that. But everyone will only be able to use hard tires for Q1 soft uh, medium tires for q2 and then soft tires for q3 so the the fia statement that came alongside it says that the test is to evaluate the impact of the reduction in tire allocation on track running with the overall intention to move to more sustainable use of tires in the future they didn't say anything about from a sporting point of view what they hope to achieve from this locking in tires to qualifying sessions yeah, I, I guess the only, I see the benefits from like a sustainability point of view, if that's mm -hmm. what they're aiming for and, and things like that. And, and obviously trying to reduce the number of tyres overall in the weekend. I get that. The thing that I think that will be a negative influence of this, if if it went ahead, would be seeing the more midfield teams, knowing that they've got a good car and a soft tyre, and chucking that on in Q2, making a push for Q3. And that's yeah. kind of part of the excitement of Q2 sometimes is mm -hmm. there's, let's say, six cars that you more or less know are going to end up in Q3, providing they've not had any kind of issue. Like if things are going smoothly, there's six drivers you could easily say are going to be in Q3. And then the remaining four slots are essentially made up of teams that have either absolutely nailed a setup or you know have maybe taken a bit of a chance on a soft tire whatever it might be to get through into that q3 position and i think you risk losing that that mm. element of qualifying if if that went ahead but i'd be happy to try it at least and see how it pans out but yeah but that'd I, be my fear i think you're right like how often do you see like you know say the ferraris and red bulls in q2 uh at the top of the times on mediums and then someone yeah. like an Alonso goes out on a set of softs pops up in like third place and then all of the top teams are like do we gamble on staying in do we use up a set of soft yeah. tires like you kind of lose all of that and and also like different cars at different races are better on some sets of tires than others so 
if you yep. turn up at a race and you can't really make the hards work, but you're fast on the mediums and softs, tough. You're probably going out in Q1. Like, yeah, it it definitely feels like it's going to hurt the teams in the bottom of the half of the table more than the teams at the top, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, I think that'd be my concern with it. Like I was saying, I, I like as as with most things, I'm open to at least try it and see how it plays out. But if it was having that much of an adverse effect on those teams, I'd be like maybe leaning more towards let's review the tire allocations, but not necessarily forcing them certain tires at certain times onto yeah. certain people, and, and, and maybe lacks that rule a little bit. And also, like we, we've over the last couple of years, we spent a lot of time talking about you know how to do sprint races, how to tweak the weekend format whether to add or remove practice sessions but one thing we've consistently said is qualifying is great qualifying doesn't need fixing yeah yeah it's not broke don't try and fix it so it seems a strange thing for them to be messing with like you said like i totally get the try and reduce the number of tire sets like i can see the reason behind that that's fine um but yeah strange strange yeah they want to try it, as I said, for two races next season. So I guess we'll see what happens. Be interesting but... to see how they go about which races they pick that for as yeah. well. To be honest. Yeah, definitely. It's really the same mm. problem as um, which races you choose for sprint races, isn't it? Because we were saying last week, like it seems bizarre yeah. that Leclerc had a, let's say Bahrain, Leclerc had an absolutely perfect weekend and he got 26 points. And then Imola, Verstappen had an absolutely perfect weekend and got 34 points. And like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're changing the relative worth of races or the relative, I guess, True. challenge of races for some. Yeah. Interesting yeah. one. We'll wait and see, but I can't say I'm super convinced. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, next thing to talk about, uh, we're going to go away from F1 for a minute and talk about Formula E because they have revealed their Gen 3 car, which will be um, making its debut next season, which is due to begin in January, I believe. Um, so the new car, in an era where Formula 1 cars are getting bigger and heavier and boatier every year, Formula E have managed to make their car smaller in every dimension and 60 kilograms lighter. Does look uh, like a boat though. It does actually look a bit speedboaty, <laughs> doesn't it? It does look more like a boat than a Formula One car. <laughs> I'll give it that. <laughs> um, well, actually, what, what you mentioned that, we can talk about the looks of it because I was not convinced when I first saw it, but the more I look at it, the more I like it. Yeah, it's it's a weird one for me. Like it's not fully grown on me yet, but I think it. At the minute, I've seen like a couple of sort of mock liveries on it, different liveries and things, and I like it in certain angles with certain liveries, but then not others. Like the the, the official sort of reveal one um, that's in the blues and the metallic sort of colours, yeah. I really don't like that overhead from behind. Yeah. But the other angles I do. But then there was a, I think it was a Jaguar one that was sort of um, traditional kind of, testing camouflage like swir- yeah, black and white swirls cool. and it looked a lot nicer in that from that angle so i think i think different liveries will sort of draw attention to different areas of the car but mm. yeah it's very interesting looking isn't it when i think when you look at like indie cars and formula one cars they're actually quite similar now 
and this is sort of booking the trend that, that those two have moved towards, I think, a little bit. Yeah, well, so me and Chew, was, I mean, but me and Chew, who's Chew? Yeah. <laughs> um, me and Stu were chatting about this over the weekend, and he said, like, this is this is the advantage of when you're running a spec series, you can design cars to look cool and interesting first rather than F1 yeah, where yeah. it's very much performance first, look second. Um, yeah. The the thing that kind of convinced me the most was I saw somebody photoshopped the wheels off it and it looks like um, it's from Wipeout. Like literally you take the yeah, wheels yeah. off that, you can drop it that. into one of the Wipeout games and it would just fit perfectly. Or f I feel... I feel like we, me and you particularly made that comparison with Formula E cars before, yeah. to be brutal honest. <laughs> and it's amazing as well, like, if you think back to when the Gen 2 car was revealed and the Gen 1 cars looked really old and basic then. Yeah. And now this Gen 3 car has been revealed. If you go and look at the Gen 2 cars over the race in Monaco this weekend, they kind of look a bit old and basic. Like, they, they move on their design, like, so massively. It's, yeah. it's impressive. They've, they've, I mean, it's... It's quite different in terms of obviously the size, like you've already mentioned, but they've gone to like less and less of a rear wing yeah, development over really the over the have years. One, does it now? No, uh, even less so than the Gen Two. Like the Gen Two cars, kind of had a sort of two small rear wings, I guess, like one over each wheel. Yeah. And Gen Three now, there's like pretty much nothing. It's two uh, kind but of. Then it, it's more like fighter kind of jet fins, isn't it? Fins, on yeah, 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 more fins than wings. But then the other thing that stood out to me is they've ditched the um, the wheel covers, from what I can tell. Yes, they have. In terms of um, the the huge arches that they used to have. So. Yeah, they're still sort of... The wheels are inboard of the bodywork, so they're not like fully sticking out like a yeah, traditional open wheel. True. But yeah, they're, they're not kind of covered up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we should be interested to see some running. For yeah. Yeah. Uh, as for the tech side of things, which is extremely interesting, so they're upping the power to a maximum of 350 kilowatts, which is up from the current 250 that were in qualifying, um, which equates to roughly 470 brake horsepower. Uh, they reckon they're going to be 95% efficient powertrains. Top speed of 200 miles an hour. I'm not sure where on the tracks they use they'll reach 200 miles an hour, but <laughs> technically they can. Um, it's the first time for Formula E car that I've got front and rear powertrains. Previously, they've only been rear powertrained, which means the regen capability is up to 600 kilowatts. So for those not mm. kind of up to speed with electric vehicles, it's essentially when, you, when you're off the power, the, the motors spin backwards and that generates braking for the car, but it also regenerates energy, which is pumped back into the battery. Yeah, it's a very very different driving experience, isn't it? Like very to different. to to slow, you technically lift and be, and then the engine begins braking. Like I, I feel like when you say engine braking, anyone that's driven a, a like a traditional petrol or diesel car kind of knows what you mean. Yeah, but until the, they've been in an electric vehicle and lifted, it's they've much got more no idea what that is. Like yeah. it is literally like tapping your foot on the brake at the, as as you're lifting your foot. It's, yeah, it's so a little surreal the first few times you experience it. Yeah, so my car when I've when it's in B mode, which is the regen mode, like ninety percent of the driving I do is just modulating the throttle. I only basically yeah. ever touch the brakes when I want to come to a complete stop. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, the new car is going to have a 600 kilowatt regen capability. And Formula E are estimating that about 40% of the power used in races will come from what is regenerated from braking. So the battery packs are going to be much smaller because they don't need as much energy to start with because they'll be able to regen so much to mm. sort of basically top up the batteries by braking throughout the course, which is super cool. Does the does the 60 kilogram weight drop just include aerodynamically what they've dropped in terms of the actual vehicle size and, and wings and so on? Or is that including the difference in the batteries, do we know? It includes everything. So they're actually they're actually putting a lot more stuff into the car. Obviously, like having a front motor yeah. as well as a rear is adding a lot of weight. But yeah, that yeah, yeah. save a lot of weight yeah, from batteries generally being small will save weight, yeah. Um, yeah and then it actually sense. has no rear brakes. All the rear braking will just come from the regen power of the motor. So it's only got physical mm. brakes on the front, which is, which is very interesting. Um, it's, How it's, does that compare to something like yours was so yours, yours mine, all wheel braking so like mine, a road car yes yeah, so mine mine's a vwid3 for context it has disc brakes on the front and drum brakes on the rear um because it's rear yeah. motored and the reason it's got drum brakes on the rear is that the vast majority of the braking at the rear comes from the regen so basically yeah. vw when they were testing it found if they put disc brakes on the back they just got like old and rusty really quickly because they're actually not used all that often as well. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's such interesting technology. I can't wait to see see what they're like. And just to see race cars getting smaller and hopefully like nimbler is always a cool thing as well. Always. Always. Um only other thing to mention before we get into the preview stuff is that W series starts this weekend. It's the first race of the W series season, double header in Miami. Uh, they're actually probably going to be the first cars to race on this circuit, which is very cool. Yeah, um, their first race is Saturday just before qualifying, and then second race is Sunday before the Grand Prix. Um, quick dip into the inbox, actually, while we mentioned W Series. Grace wrote in to say, not F1 related, but with the start of W Series this weekend in Miami, what are your thoughts on Jamie Chadwick returning to W Series for third year instead of moving to F2 or F3? She mentioned a lack of funding on social media, but what else does she need to do to prove she's ready? Uh, with all the talk recently about increasing diversity in the sport and bringing up female drivers, it's frustrating to see a talented racer like Jamie unable to move on due to lack of funding. would love to get your thoughts. Yeah, it's um, it's a shame she's not been able to make that next move up, I think, to after. Because we've talked about it before, the W Series cars of essentially an equivalent to the European well the regional formula 3 championships aren't they yes so it's it's on but like in theory winning w series is, is similar to women at winning in the series that are regional so european f3 um this asia it's it's super it's class super formula i think isn't it for asia so the, uh, no so there, there, is, there is there is like asian f3 super formulas like they're yeah. more f2 speed i think that makes sense yeah so yeah it, like like i say it's, it's disappointing to not see her being able to step up to um f3 or even f2 and i think considering that we've had other women progress into f3 and 
you know, have decent careers and, and obtain decent sponsorship. I'm really surprised that no one was willing to back Jamie enough it's... for her to make that step. That's what stands out to me the most is that she's possibly one of the more promising females that we've seen in a while. And she's not, it feels like she's not had the same kind of commercial backing as other women who, uh, you know, by all rights, they're very successful drivers and very talented drivers. But I would have thought that Jamie wouldn't have a problem considering, you know, other women have made it through to F3 before her. Um, Particularly when she's part of the Williams. She's, what, she's I can't exactly what her role is exactly at Williams, but she's yeah. test and development driver or something. Like for them think- to not help her take a step forward is kind of frustrating. I've got a very big concern that the change of ownership at Williams is to play a part in that, yeah, particularly, and it's. I don't know if it's that, like, say, I don't, I don't want to like point fingers and say the current ownership don't believe in Jamie Chadwick because that's potentially not the case, but it's it's as as though they've kind of they're a bit eggs in one basket at the moment, and like their focus is recovering the F1 team and the junior academy will come second and it's a bit of an afterthought at the moment which is a shame and it would be a shame if it costs someone like Jamie an opportunity at stepping up to the next level so hopefully she has a strong year in W Series again this year and then that finally gives her the opportunity to to move on um I think that technically she wouldn't have normally been allowed to compete in W Series again would would she um, if it wasn't for, oh, I've, I thought I read something somewhere saying that, or it, was it just that she'd said that she wasn't going to, and then had to go back on that? Maybe that, maybe I'm misremembering what I read. I, I know that does sound familiar. That there were some rules around it, but I could, ne- I never sort of found exact confirmation of that. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know if it was like a, it got, it got sort of slackened because of COVID and so on and. Oh, or maybe I, yeah. maybe we, maybe it was to do with her retaining a super license points for yeah, longer Sarah from it. Maybe that's chat, what I'm I think thinking. It was something like that. Um, so, I, I mean, she, it's she's been pretty honest that she's going back to a series because that's where she can get a season of racing, kind of thing. Like she obviously yeah. wants to stay there. Like who would? But you know, her, her goal is always yeah, to you always want to be step. moving on, don't yeah. you? Um, exactly. And you know that is the thing that W Series does well is it just gives a, a grid of cars that are, you know, 20 women are able to go and do a season of racing regardless of funding and stuff, which is, you know, obviously great. But you do want to see the system they have in place working by the drivers at the top moving on and yeah. more coming in uh, to fill the seats. So, yeah, it's yeah, a it's unfortunate one for her. Um, if I'm completely honest, I don't think she's probably ever going to make it into F1. I, th- I mean, she's 23 now. It's not, mm. it's not old, but in F1 terms, to to not even be in F3 yet at age 23 probably is a bit too old. Um, I, I I think I th- the 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 next woman we see in F1 is probably only joining w series this year or will in the next year or two i think like it's gonna be yeah there's a few very young drivers joining this year um so uh, it's it's difficult like i want i really want this system to succeed and i want her to succeed but 
at the moment it's coming into its what third season and it sort of feels a little stagnant currently yeah it's um it's a shame that it's not it like he's generating the opportunities for women to get on track in a competitive environment which is amazing but it's not providing the stepping stone that it really should be to move on to the the next thing and to be to be fair, like even moving on to say a permanent thing in sports car racing, like in world endurance, something like that, that's still a step on. Like, and I feel like we're not even seeing that. We're just seeing people kind of coming back. Like, you know, those that are strong racers are just kind of coming back season on season mm-hmm. um, at the minute. And I mean, it's kind of why Formula Three and Formula Two has its rules that it does, where the champion you know, cannot re-enter the series and it's trying to encourage that to be moved on. But I feel like if you had that rule in W series, like women would be then left with nowhere to go from exactly, that, yeah. which is a shame. Um, So they're not even at a point where like they're moving on to anything else, let alone, you know, into Formula 3, 2 and then ultimately 1. So I'd like to see him improve that, I think. Yeah. And but- have a look at what the situation is there. But you look at drivers like um, Abby Pulling, she's 19. She only did yeah, four yeah. W Series races last year, but she got a pole and a podium, ended up finishing like sixth or seventh, having only done four races. Um, Juju Noda, who's like 16, I think she is. She's already won races in um, F4 when she was like 14 or 15 or something ludicrous like yeah. that. So like, there's there's very promising young talent coming up through it. Um, but yeah, for for Jamie herself, I I sadly I don't think it's going to work out for her. Um, I can see her; she I think will make a very good indie or WEC driver. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, she's definitely got a career in racing to continue on with, hundred percent. And teams will snap her up. Mm-hmm. It's just that. I think at the moment she possibly doesn't look in at those options as much as she may do in the future because she's got a set goal in mind and she's trying to work a way to achieving that. Um, so, but yeah, I think I think you know teams in IndyCar and teams in World Endurance something would would snap up a driver like Jamie to be brutally honest with you. Yeah, I mean, you look at like Sophia Fleur, she. She did F three yeah. a couple of seasons ago, and now she she's been Le Mans this year. She'll be she'll be she'll definitely be doing Le Mans twenty four. I don't know if she'll be doing the entire series. Yeah, she's season. she's done a couple of years of <laughs> European Le Mans series alongside um, yeah Bytskavisa and Tatiana Calderon, who is now in IndyCar. Like, there's there's definitely opportunities yeah. out there. Definitely. Yeah. Um, should we talk some storylines for Miami? Yeah. With all that being said and done. Um, so there's there's a few interesting bits, I think, for this weekend. Obviously, most notable, it is a new circuit. Um, but then there's, there's kind of a few bits and pieces up and down the grid that I think may be worth looking at. So one of the first ones is the fact that if you look back over the season so far, Ferrari are dropping points through driver errors and Red Bull are actually only dropping them through reliability that they appear to be getting on top of. Mm-hmm. So 
is this a walled street style circuit somewhere that Red Bull can potentially start closing up that gap Ferrari opened up early on? Yeah, feels that way, doesn't it? I think I can't remember where I saw it. It might even be on Discord, someone basically saying that like good for signs because there's no gravel traps to land in. Bad for Leclerc because there's tricky street circuit bits to crash into. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely um, seen that meme. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like if you look back at the new circuits we've had over the last few years, I think I'm right in saying for the last like for the last like three seasons we've had a lot of new circuits, and Hamilton has basically turned up and won first try at all of them. <laughs> yeah, pretty which, much. I somehow doubt is going to happen this time round, given where the Mercedes is. Um, but yeah, like given the drivers we have at the front currently, if you had to put your faith in one of them to hit the ground running on a new circuit that is a street circuit, it's probably going to be Verstappen, isn't it? Yeah, out, out of those that are up at the sharp end of the championship right now, for definite. Um... Yeah, I, I feel like Lewis isn't comfortable enough in the Mercedes yet to no. to take advantage of of the the new circuit and the street circuit elements. Um, Especially a street circuit, like you need a lot of confidence in your car to be fast at a street circuit. Yeah, and that's yeah. not something he seems to have currently. <laughs> not right now. Um, so, but yeah, out of the the ones at the sharp end, I would say Verstappen's the most likely. Kind of hinting at our predictions there, I think both of us saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I mean, when you look at that possibility with the way the Ferrari drivers have been these last few races and then the way the Red Bull drivers have been, there's every chance that this could be a bit of a Red Bull weekend, which is something to look out for. Um, bit further down the grid, I've got. Can the younger drivers like Norris and Russell keep up solid performances compared to their much more experienced teammates? Mm. Well, because over recent weeks, I feel like we've seen both George and Lando being able to um, deal with the issues that these new cars present much better than their uh, experienced yeah. teammates. Mercedes are supposed to be trying to push an aero update to be ready in they time for this weekend. So yeah. uh, that may sort of help Hamilton get back up to speed. But yeah, there's just something about that car that's just not clicking with him. And Russell's definitely looked the more... The I feel like the majority of races this season so far, Russell's basically got everything that is possible to get out of that car. Um, like, you know, he's picking up fourth and fifth places at most races. Yeah. He's, well, he's been on the podium as well, hasn't he? And that's podium, very yeah. much maximising what that car can do. And Hamilton seems to be struggling to do that. I mean, um, interesting tidbit for you that's been circulating on the internet since last race is Judd Russell is now the only driver that's finished yes. in the top five every race this season. It's, some impressive consistency for him. Yeah. Yeah, as he's, for the, my... he's the new walk consistency. Yeah, yeah, he really is. <laughs> we, um, we need a wordplay for him. Ricardo as well seems to be like Ricardo's not a million miles off, but he's definitely struggling a lot more than Lando seems to be. Um, I think obviously last race was 
I mean, he went and apologized for that first corner incident. I still see that as a racing incident, to be honest, but that kind of scuppered his whole race. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think if he can just have, I'm interested to see what he can do with just a clean weekend um, this weekend. Yeah, I, I think the thing that's been interesting about Norris is that he is like sort of steadily progressing and taking advantage of obviously situations that are being put in front of him, like what went on in Imola. Um, and Ricardo's like struggle. I mean, I know you guys will have already talked about this, but like one of the things that really surprised me is how Russell in particular was able to fight with the Mercedes and, and fight to the position he finished in a fourth. But Lewis was struggling to outbreak um outbreak Pierre Gasly into turn one. And yes. that's yeah. something that you wouldn't normally expect to see of Lewis. And that that to me strikes of someone who is not fully confident in what the car is capable of at certain times and it reminds me a little bit of when Danny Rick first left Red Bull to be brutally honest mm, with you actually and when he first went to Renault he was struggling um and he was like outbreak he was kind of at, it's it's like Lewis didn't do it and Danny Rick tried and constantly outbreaked yeah. himself if you remember there was a lot of lockups and heading straight on with Danny Rick because of what he was used to with the Red Bull and I feel like Lewis is in a not the same but similar situation mm -hmm. with the way that this year's Mercedes is, has panned out early on. So it'd be interesting to see what their updates do. But I mean, on a similar note, Ferrari are meant to be already making updates to their car as early as this weekend. So mm, they seen a lot they, of teams seem to be trying to push their <clears> updates <throat> forward as early as they can, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there as well. Um, another one, how will the tricky sector going through the flyovers play out in race conditions? There's a lot of change in elevation as you go actually under and over certain uh, parts of the flyover mm -hmm. um, and kind of leads to some blind apexes and all that to boot, it, the, the sort of exit of that section is onto the huge back straight down towards turn 17, which is going to be one of, if not the most significant overtaking yep. spots. So it's a very important little piece of track, this, I think. Um, is It kind of runs from about turn 11 through 16, uh, but the most significant bit, I believe, is 14 and 15, yeah. which is where it's a very tight chicane and it's blinding parts as is turn 16 just because of the elevation changes so it should be very interesting to see how that plays out partially off camber as well i think through there um it's, at least again, one of them is yeah yeah i mean obviously we've only seen virtual on board so far but it looks pretty clumsy and i think as well just after the exit of 15 is where the track crosses one of um like a road that becomes the entry ramp onto the the sort of fly over there so it's yeah. kind of quite bumpy on the exit as well it, it's very interesting because you've got a portion of circuit that goes underneath certain ramps for the flyover and then you've got another portion of circuit that goes over one of the ramps mm -hmm. so because of the way that way the way they are laid out and then the way that the circuit goes you've got like a lot of kind of variation in elevation and having to meet certain requirements in terms of like the, the bits that are going overhead have to be 
at least four meters clearance um whilst also still trying to climb to get over the bit that they've got to get over it's it sounds like a a circuit builder's nightmare um, yeah i mean looking at the map right now like that sort of 11 16 complex i don't love but if as you say like that's gonna sort of mistakes through there will bring cars close together for that back straight like that potentially could be a good thing for racing and overtaking so yeah i I think that's the key bit for me is that you've got a nice long run down into turn 11 where people could start having a look you've got the sort of clumsy bit if you want to call it that like through 13 14 15 where people could maybe start having a look and taking advantage of mistakes but you've got to get that run out of 16 as well like spot on because it's a huge straight all the way down to turn 17 which is a drs zone as far as i'm aware so it's uh, yeah it's all to play for through that sector of the track i think and you can see chasing drivers making a push there to to try and force mistakes and get a good run down that back straight i think so it's definitely something to look out for of of like the newer tracks we've had recently I've, i've i'm like I don't want to like oversell it, but I'm like kind of quietly confident in this track to produce a decent race. Yeah, there's some nice elements to it, isn't there? Like, uh, I mean, that run down to turn 17, as I've been saying, is a good one. You've got the fast sort of elements of like nine and 10 that, that are a little bit like how Australia is now uh, mm. after they took out the chicane there. Um, Baku as well. Yeah, but then heading down into a really heavy braking zone at 11, which is the start of this like little twisty, fiddly section. So that'd be good. And I'd imagine that turn one's probably going to be some sort of overtaking opportunity, like coming down the start, finish straight into turn one. I would think one. so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the only sector that I think might get a little bit uh, sort of nulled out when chasing is probably sector one, because sector one's fairly flowing so it's more about just staying with who's ahead of you to to get on that run down to turn 11 i think once you get yeah. around all the sort of twisties that it's are, almost like the suzuka s's isn't it that kind of one to six yeah complex. that that first sector kind of reminds me of inspired by suzuka s's maggots beckett's yeah so on which that every modern track has to texas. have a bit like that doesn't it these days yeah exactly like the, fir- the first sector in texas where you're sort of following through the sweeping and then down onto the long straight which is where your your overtaking opportunity then comes so there's a lot of elements of that kind of bit of circuit i think there um but yeah, I, I I can see two or three good overtaking opportunities. Mm. I think based on what I've seen of like the the circuit itself, and then you know virtual onboards and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out once they're actually physically on it. Biggest fear I've got with this track is looking at that thirteen, fourteen, fifteen section. That's got red flags written all over it. Oh, one hundred percent. Because if someone crashes through there, it's it's like a blind crest with blind corners like yeah yeah if someone if someone goes off through there it's a red flag scenario i think because it's just tight as well there's there's no room to be recovering a stricken vehicle with cars coming past even behind a safety car i don't think in that sort of sector it's just so tight so yeah i agree with you there um and then the the last one i've got is I, i had a little bit of a look going into the podcast and 
from what I can see, the weather could be quite interesting because there's meant to be like sort of showers throughout the weekend, specifically on Sunday. Um, but obviously, in true Miami style, it's like 25 to 30 degrees most of the time. So it'd be very interesting to see if that leads to any kind of tricky conditions in, in the terms of, yes, the temperatures will probably help the circuit dry out a lot quicker, but you could have like a wet period in the race where it is actually tricky on slicks and it's debatable for inters at times. So if that weather forecast plays out the way it looks at the moment, that that could be a factor. Um, I mean, what do you think to that? Like, I know you've probably I, not been to that part of the world, but we've both been similar places in America. I mean, so. you, you might even get that situation. You get sometimes in F1 where the drivers are seeing raindrops hitting their visors, but actually the track surface is so hot that the the track's not actually getting wet and they're kind of they feel like it's going to be wet and it actually is and the sort of you know people are having to tell them like i know you're seeing rain but it's not actually wet right now yeah it's i think that'll be the interesting element of it for me is will it be able to rain enough to actually cause trouble yeah and that that would be the key thing because I think Drizzle is going to do nothing at a place no. like Miami. In, but, but I mean, we all know that Miami is um, very susceptible to heavy rainfall as much as it is hot heat. Yeah. So, yeah, that could play I'm, out interesting. I'm all for that. I'm off some changeable conditions. Oh, we love them. I mean, one of my favorite races of all time is my, my favorite race of all time for those exact reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and being a Jensen Button fan. <laughs> Point, answer on the back of the postcard as to what you think my favourite race ever is should <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we do some predictions I think based on what we've we done with storylines yeah I mean I think I alluded to a little bit where I'm going so we'll get into it um, so for those of you who don't know we run a predictions league where everyone can enter um, and you have to predict five things for the course of the race weekend. And if you manage five out of five across the board, you're in for a little prize. Um, and then the winner overall at the end of the season also gets a prize. So it's always worth entering because there is a chance week on week. But obviously you can still catch up if you're, if you're very, very good at this. But it's harder than it sounds. I can tell you that for a fact. Um, especially when we do it on a Monday. <laughs> five days before any track action um but yeah let's go through it chris so fastest in q3 who do you think oh, is picking up first. that oh yeah i am like who do you think is picking that up looking at the circuit and thinking about the race we've had this season so far my gut feeling is that it looks like a ferrari circuit but yeah <sighs> but <laughs> But oh, it's so tricky. Uh, okay, that, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Leclerc for pole for fast and Q3. Oh, you, damn, you're doing exactly the same thing as me. I think <laughs> so. I was gonna go for Leclerc fastest in Q3, getting like basically Monaco vibes of <laughs> absolutely nails it. And then nails the wall <laughs> or something. Are you then going to go um, for Stappen for the win? And then, yeah, literally for the win, I was going to go for Stappen. That's exactly that what exactly I had in mind. How... Are you sticking with it, same as yeah, me? Yeah, sticking with it. Yeah. Oh, dear. 
Um, first DNF, who do we think is the first retirement of this race, Chris? Um, I've been so far off with this recently. Yeah, I felt you there. I almost want to say Carlos signs just to guarantee that it won't be him again. <laughs> <laughs> Good way of thinking. Um, I'm going to go for... Uh, I'm thinking like some kind of first lap collision here. So somewhere around the middle. Stroll maybe? Let's say Stroll. Okay, I tried that last time. It didn't work. Just to let you know. I think I did anyway. I can't remember actually. I think that's what I did. I remember that we had the whole debate of can we just have whoever's next to stroll? Yeah. <laughs> that, that wouldn't have worked either, to be fair. Um, I'm going to go... Oh, I don't know. Mm. I, I know this, this really hurts saying this out loud and I can already feel the hate of the people listening who I know this will offend, but... I'm going to say Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, no. I don't want it to be. It's who I think it will be. There's a difference between who I want it to be and who I think it'll be. You know what I mean? Head and heart and all that. Number of finishes. Um, I've got a feeling that a difficult new circuit, lots of walls, we might see less than usual. So I'm going to be a bit bold and say 15 here. Lots of heat as well for those power Yeah, a lot of heat, potentially, yeah. I'll go 16 for similar reasons. Okay. And then can you generate as this week's random driver, please, Chris? It is Nicholas Latifi. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, Mr. Latifi does know how to find a wall at tight circuits, doesn't he? Yeah, and, the difficulty uh, here is do we do we have him in our DNFs or not, basically, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm having him in 17th. So you'll DNF at some point, but not necessarily the first. What, this, what he tends to do, he tends to, like, do a few laps and then find a wall. It tends to be late Weirdly, race, doesn't it? Weirdly, I've just looked at his results so far this season, and it's... Obviously, some are classified, but you've got it's been classified 16th, 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 and then one full on retirement in Saudi Arabia. So, I might be one off. I'm going to be so annoyed if he's 16th. Now, I've said 17th and then read that. I'm going to be so annoyed. Purely to annoy you, then I'm going to say 16th. Oh, if you get the point for that, I'm going to be so angry. <laughs> that, so, that makes, him, that makes him finishing on the road for you. Yeah. In in a solid last place, so interesting. Um, so yeah, if you want to get involved with this, head to backofthegrid.com. Uh, you can sign up if you've not joined us before, or you can sign in with your old account and join in. Um, there's also links on there for the fantasy league, so you can head to Grid Rival and join us there, and you can head to the official F1 fantasy and join us there. Again, I mean, even even if you've been collecting points in other leagues, I'm pretty sure when you join ours, your points all carry forward as far as I'm that's aware. Correct, yes. As long as as long as you've started your team from the beginning of the season, just by joining our league, you you retain your points. I believe definitely on the F1 fantasy. I'll have to double check for grid rivals. 
but yeah head over there to join all that fun and games and and get involved um i suppose now it is time for a little bit of inbox isn't it is uh, keep me saying now but stay but stay out you want to do the first one chris go on then uh from toby godfrey if the upgrades coming to Miami in the Mercedes camp do not help their situation, at what point do they have to come to terms with letting go of the current car philosophy? Regardless of what the sim was showing pre-season, i.e. 2023 with a similar car direction to Ferrari and Red Bull. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I think... I think if they've not got on top of it by the start of that, the little European stint we've got coming up, they might start changing things. I think the budget caps may be hurting them more than they thought it would at times as well. Yeah. Uh, like, we talk about teams like McLaren, Mercedes and Red Bull being teams you'd expect to be able to develop their way out of a hole. And I think that's a lot more difficult for them now due to the budget, the way the budget caps work and the... Um, yeah, wind tunnel time works and all the all those kind of factors. Uh, so I guess the thing is, is like, is changing the philosophy completely actually going to help with things like the poor poison that appears to be causing them the most trouble? And I don't know if it will because it's you know there's teams with other philosophies that are also having poor poison. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's it's getting to the bottom of. I th- I think the the interesting thing is the fact that the Mercedes is like unpredictable compared to some of the other cars. Like, um, I don't know, Leclerc and Sainz manage with the Ferrari being quite aggressively bouncing because it only happens at extreme high speed towards the end of the straight, yeah. and as soon as they're getting their foot on the brake and bringing that speed down it's negating the problem and they're backing on like full control of the car and it, it like i mean when you look at imola it was literally only a problem in the final few hundred yards of that yeah. start finish straight and you didn't see it anywhere else whereas when you look at like something like the mercedes you see it a lot more aggressive and in more places around the circuit so i think that's what they need to get on top of more than anything i don't think like scrapping the whole philosophy will uh, will aid in that they'll just be starting from square zero and that's kind of, yeah. mercedes way to go so um but i mean if it doesn't get better by say what have we got we've got spain after this and then uh we've got azerbaijan and we've got canada i think uh, if things monaco haven't started oh sorry yeah so we've got yeah you've got spain monaco Azerbaijan, Canada. That's right, isn't it? That sounds right, yeah. So I think if you get to the end of that run and things aren't still aren't working and they're not starting to like deal with the closing the gap, I think then after that they might start thinking about trying to change things. Yeah. But I, I could see them running and, and trying to improve what they currently have until that point for the most part. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that? No, or? that's kind of, kind of it, isn't it? Really? Yeah. 
Okay, I'll read the next one then. Uh, Cambridge Bear says, how does a sport like F1 and a team like Mercedes with all their resources and technology not come to terms with a fundamental problem like poor poison? I mean, we might um, have just accidentally answered this one. <laughs> kind of, because like, I guess the problem they have is this season more so than any before, they can't just throw money at the problem until it goes away. Like, Exactly. There's extremely limited track time, very limited wind tunnel time, very limited uh, CFD time now as well. And I, th- I, th- I think a lot of Mercedes' problem stems from their wind tunnel and CFD data not correlating with um, actual track data. And yeah. there's if, if you can't replicate the problem you're having off track, then you're just kind of stuck throwing ideas at the wall until something sticks. But with a so such a limited time for everything, not to mention a limited budget, like they have to be very before they start spending time and money manufacturing parts, I've got to be pretty confident they're gonna help. And it's hard to get that confidence. So it's a very yeah. it's it's more difficult than ever to develop your way out of a hole, I think, in Formula One. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's like I was saying in the sort of answering the previous question I, th- I think that the new restrictions are making it a lot more difficult for them um like other teams have sort of struggled previously but now it's stricter than ever and yeah. i think it's it's definitely hurting them getting out of it i mean the fact that they were running the sensors that they've run on cars during races probably just goes yeah. to show how a how much coloration between um you know, sim data and track data, they're missing. And the fact that there's, you know, such a discrepancy there, but also then the fact that there is so little testing time and wind tunnel time and so on available that they're having to run that during a race just to properly understand what's happening. They're, they're, they're literally make, using make races a dent into the problem. as test sessions at that point, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it metaphorically sometimes where you know, a team's maybe down at the back, so they, they're running something that it is like they're testing it effectively. But, you know, Mercedes literally were running test sensors on the car yeah. throughout the race. So, yeah, sad times for them, I think. I think the impressive thing, though, is this is this is the thing that will always be impressive, and it, it does show the power of a huge manufacturer team like Mercedes, is that despite that, they have George Russell consistently finishing in the top half of the points and even yeah. picking up a podium. Like that, that goes to show that the car, I mean, to be fair, that due to discredit to Lewis there, he picked up a podium in Bahrain and he when like things went a bit mm. south in front of him for the Red Bulls. So like they've both had strong results there and the way that everyone goes on about that car and the way even the drivers have talked about the car you would not in your wildest dreams have thought those two drivers have a podium already. It, it so, shows there is pace in that car. Yeah, it shows that there's potential there that they need to get to the bottom of the problems, I think. And yeah. and like I say, it goes to show the power of being a manufacturer team of their size is that, you know, finishing fifth and fourth and third and stuff is actually a bad season for yeah. them. Like... I mean, are they still they still third in the constructors? Are they not? I, I think at this point. I believe so. Yes. So, like, yeah, it's, and you've got McLaren behind them, who you were expecting to be pushing the the 
Ferrari and Red Bull at the front. So, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, next question from Michelle. Which McLaren team will we see this week? Ooh. I mean, I feel like they'd be going sort of strength to strength and finding the pace that we thought they might have had during testing. Um, at least Lando is for definite. I, I, I'm... Ricardo's having a bit of a odd season so far, isn't he? He's, he's showing moments where he has got pace, but then struggling maybe more in the races, I think, and or maybe getting caught up in like silly scraps that he doesn't want to be involved in yeah. and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm like fairly confident that they're still going the right direction. Like, I think Imola. Uh, tracking conditions suited them and maybe flattered them a little bit. I don't think, mm. you know, Lando finished the podium. I don't think that is a podium finishing car still, but it's definitely, they, they continue to head in the right direction, it seems. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, the the interesting thing for me is like essentially Lando there over the course of the weekend kind of maintained good pace, good consistent pace. Like what he qualified third and then went backwards a tiny bit in the sprint race, but kind of what you'd expect because he had signs coming through on him who'd had that accident, didn't he, in Q three. Yeah. So like, you know, there were there were certain people getting past him that you'd expect. But then when things went wrong for them again in, ahead of him, he was still there to take advantage of it and, and obviously finish on the podium. Like, essentially, if it hadn't been for science making a mess early in the race and then Leclerc making the mistake, chasing down Verstappen, Norris would have probably been a solid fifth, which is, yeah. you know, in, in, in realistic terms, the absolute best you can hope for on a, on a like, say, a normal weekend without issues ahead of them. Um, and you know he'd outqualified that position for a start. Um, I mean, again, albeit science has made a mistake at Q. Th- was it end of Q two or was it beginning of Q three? I can't remember which uh, way around end it of was. Q2. Yeah, so he, he never partook at Q three, did he? So like, I mean, that gave him a leg up initially. Um, and Perez had trouble, didn't he, in Q three? So like, mm-hmm. again, gave Lando a bit of a leg up, but he was there and he was taking advantage of it. Um, yeah. And then finishing fifth in the race, like, like those two drivers getting past him was not a surprise. So <clears throat> overall, overall, he's like maintaining the reason why I've been so impressed with him since he stepped up to F1 is that he he's one of those drivers that I feel could get the best out of a car in any given condition. And I feel like he's sort of showing that he's capable of doing that. And they appear to be over the troubles that they were having with the brakes early in the season in Bahrain. Yep. It, like that that was the biggest concern and they got over that quickly so they just been able to like eke more and more of the true performance out of the car week on week it's easy to forget crossed. that isn't it they were like yeah it was horrendous week one yeah horrendous uh last one for this week uh mccheco says what do you make of the rumor of an early driver swap will we get a silly season this year or are most contracts already settled for the next year yeah, these rumors have been doing the rounds the last few days. It was a Spanish journalist, I believe, reported that some form of mid-season driver swap was on the cards. Um, mm. 
I mean, the, sh- the short answer is I don't really believe there's going to be a whole lot to it. Um, yeah. Like the the suggest, like some people have suggested that Hamilton might be on the driver's swapping. That's nonsense. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, some people have said that suggested Gasly and Ricardo swapping places. Um, mm. Gasly to McLaren, I can see. Ricardo going back to the Red Bull junior team. That's never going to happen in a million years. No. I don't um, see that. I will I will happily eat my hat if that happens. Um which which hat? The Sebastian Vettel one or the Valtteri Bottas one? I'll I'll, I'll get myself a Daniel Ricardo hat and then I'll eat that. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> um, like the, this rumor specifically was about two drivers two oh, currently on the grid swapping. I think what's p- potentially more likely to happen mid-season is that Latifi is replaced by someone like a Piastri because he's really in the woods at the moment. He's really, mm. um, really struggling. Yeah. I could see if, if it was going to happen, I could see it being something more like that than a, a, yeah. a swap with two existing drivers of the grid. Yes. Uh, I can't, I can't really see anywhere. Anyone swapping in terms of like contracts being tied up. I remember seeing a graphic circulating in the last week or two that showed that there are actually quite a few drivers that have only got this year left on their deal. So I can see like towards the end of the summer, we start seeing like the traditional silly season kind of time of, you know, those contracts either being re-signed or drivers moving around. But yeah, outside outside of that and outside of the drivers that are only like a year left in their deal or it's an optional extra year that they they need to have triggered and so on outside of that i don't see anything really happening during the season unless it is like what you say like a you know latifi goes for another young driver that can step up and i mean more than likely outperform what latifi's doing i know that seems really harsh like the, the drivers don't just get to here on a whim, but there are some drivers where you sort of start thinking, I'd much rather be seeing somebody else in here on a week-on-week basis. So and I think yeah, Latifi's totally. reached that point for me now, sadly. Yeah, unfortunately. He's, um, and he's been quite honest about how much he's just struggling with these current cars. And mm. um, I think the quote was something along the lines of like, he's not able to drive the car on instinct because he's having so much trouble with it, which is like yeah. pretty damning. Um, but yeah, like from what we, again, these contracts are always a bit tricky, but from what is believed, like contracts that end like end of this year, uh, Schumacher, Latifi, um, Albon, Stroll, Joe, Sonoda, Alonso are all technically ending this year, I think. Perez yeah. is only I mean, on a one-year deal as well. I thought, did Perez not end up getting a multi-year deal now? I thought I thought he was after oh. a multi-year deal and he got two. Oh, he possibly got a two, yeah, possibly. But yeah, I mean, regardless, there's a handful of drivers there that you mentioned that I can see would get re-signed without much you know, pushback from 
you know, without much dispute. Like I can see Haas wanting to keep hold of Schumacher, but especially because of the links to Ferrari and yeah. Ferrari wanting to keep him in that seat. I could see that if Alonso went, it would be through his choice, not that they didn't want him. Yeah, totally. For example, like if Alonso like wanted to stay, to stay, they'd give him a contract. If he didn't, he would be leaving of his own choice. Um, there's somebody else you mentioned there. I was sort of thinking that I could just see them getting me. Oh, Albon, the way Albon's performed in the Williams so far this year. I yeah. could see Williams being more than happy to offer him a new contract. And so, like, there's a good handful of those one years where that I don't think they're going to have trouble maintaining yeah, their seat if they turn around to the seat team and say, I want to resign. So, yeah, it's. It's being on the teeth, I think. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's the it's biggest question mark for me. Yeah, it's funny because you've got like almost half the grid with contracts that run out this year. And then yeah. the other half, you've got like Verstappen till the end of 2028, Norris 2025, Leclerc 2024, Bottas yeah. 24, Ocon 24. Like it's like feast or famine with contracts at the moment. It, it's a good insight into like kind of where the future of the grid is, though. Like, yeah, totally. you know, Ma- Max Leclerc and Lando Norris all having those kind of contracts all with like teams with such potential like Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren. Mm-hmm. Like on, on honestly, my like I'd be so happy for the first time in so many years if we somehow manage like a, a three way fight for the title between those three. Oh yeah. Because be awesome. you you've seen you've seen those kind of drivers like race each other in lower formulas and, and stuff and I mean you've seen them race against each other on track in Formula One at, at different periods and to actually see all three of them have a legitimate title chance and be fighting for it. And then having like drivers alongside them like Sainz, Perez, Ricardo, who all equally are as skilled and deserve it. They've just been around a bit longer. Like it's it's insane really. That's like just like a, a dream six that I want to be see fighting all yeah. the time. Um it's weird to say Carlos Sainz is like an older driver on the Yeah, I know, well. right? I felt weird. So been around a few uh, years oh, now. Maybe I, I think I'm thinking Sainz, Hana, with a multi year deal rather than the one year deal. It was, oh, yes, was Sainz that ended up getting a two-year deal at Ferrari when the original rumours were one. Yes. I've just remembered. That's what I was thinking of. So, yeah, Perez probably is a one-year deal still. There you go. Um, I think that's it, isn't it? We're just rambling now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any direction to this anymore other than just random rambling. Some so, people would say uh, we do that most of the time anyway, but... True, especially me. Uh, no, that that is it for this week, though. So thank you to everyone who has joined us for this preview. Sorry to those in Discord that it was earlier than usual. I know some of you have made it, but um, yeah, like bank holidays and holidays and stuff have scuppered the schedule a little bit these last couple of weeks. But we should be back to normal, I'd hope. Should next be, yes. week onwards, at least for a little while. Um, if you'd like to follow us on socials, we're in all the usual places. So you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you can always head to backofthegrid.com where there's links to all of that. There's links to our Patreon. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, there's links to sign up and join the Predictions League and all the Fantasy Leagues. Even a contact form. If you don't do social medias and you want to send us a message, there's a contact form on the website you can fill in and we'll get that via email. So do that too if you want to. Um, that is it so enjoy the inaugural Miami Grand Prix let's hope it's a good one and we will see you next week to review it all and see how it went so goodbye everyone bye